Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. Uh, and we're continuing on with our Kung Fu-bruary coverage, because, because we're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but you already know that by now, hopefully. <laughs> if you've ever listened to us before, you know that uh, we just have fun with things. Exactly. Um, so, much like we've done on the uh, well, every episode in Kung Fu Buary, we're going to start with uh, segments on Black History Month, specifically in regards to cinema and Women in the Horror Month, um, and then also probably some updates about Chat Film Fest. Even though we don't have a whole lot of updates since last week, which I, I mean that makes sense. They're not going to put out major updates every single week, um, but we are at least going to remind you that Chat Film Fest is awesome. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about a Kung Fu movie that I only knew one thing about it going in. And, um, y- yeah, that was not the best part of the movie, even though it was the like only reason that I chose it. Yeah. It w- <laughs> and it was funny too, because like after I watched the movie, you're like, can you guess what part it was <laughs> that, that I was talking about? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea because there were so many crazy, insane, awesome moments in this movie. Yeah. The, the men from the monastery is absolutely amazing but we'll get into that um so yeah starting things off we're going to talk a little bit about uh, black history month and in case this is the first episode in kung fu brewery that you're catching us on the reason that we're not devoting um the entire episode to either black history month or women in horror month is because we just we didn't have the time to like do appropriate research and we didn't want to try to sound like we knew what we were talking about when we didn't um, but these are both very important topics, things that we care very deeply about. And so we at least wanted to make sure, uh, that we give, uh, sort of some honorable mentions and say, Hey, black history month is really important and women are really important. And so like, we need to honor them. We're just also a couple of white dudes and, you know, we don't want to make it sound like we know everything that we're talking about without putting in adequate research yeah right it's like we we talked about it a lot and it's like what can we really add to the conversation as you know two straight white guys and the answer is really not a lot so it's kind of the idea is more just to like highlight you know some films and filmmakers that we think deserve attention exactly um and if you listen to last episode then you probably already have turned me saying problematic into a drinking game (laughs) um (laughs) but if you haven't you totally should um because yeah you'll get drunk about five minutes into last week's episode yep definitely at at least (laughs) especially if you go with problematic and nuanced um yeah if you do that that you're you're just you are not driving home (laughs) what listen from a safe from your home for sure (laughs) all right so uh let's let's start with black history month um eric what's your pick for uh for this week uh so i'm going with a more recent film that i feel like not a lot of people watch that i absolutely adore um so my pick is dope and that is the name of the movie, not an adjective for my pick. Um, but hopefully <laughs> but, that's... But is your pick also dope? I would think... I think so, yeah. Um, so it's a film that was directed by Rick Famuyiwa um, and stars Shamik Moore, who he... Man, he is so fantastic in this movie. Like, this is one of those star-making performances where, like, when you watch it, you're like, yeah, that kid's going places. And he actually just recently played uh, Miles Morales in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Um, he's fantastic. Spider- Spider-Verse is also fantastic, which I, I watched it after our top 10 movies of the year, and it totally would have been way up there on my top 10. Don't you mean after our let's spend an hour talking about honorable mentions exactly. and then breeze through our actual top picks? Yes, that, that, is, that is what the title of the episode should have been um but this is just it's a fun movie um it's about this kind of nerdy kid who uh lives in um inglewood california who um he's like he aspires to go to harvard um you know he thinks that he can get in on his academic record um but you know he's kind of based basically based on where he's graduating from the school it is kind of an inner city school you know even like administrative people are like maybe you need to shoot a little bit lower because of where you come from and so he's kind of like yeah i'm not going to to settle and then he ends up getting involved in like this kind of it's like this kind of mistaken identity or like maybe not mistaken identity but um you know his bag ends up getting some drugs put into it without him realizing it and he Mm -hmm. gets embroiled in this like crazy drug ring and it's like a it's just like a fun coming of age movie 
um, that I think is fantastic. Uh, it's got, there's this really fantastic supporting performance by ASAP Rocky, the rapper. I don't think he's made any movies since then, but man, he's incredible in this movie. Um, it's just a lot of fun, really funny. Um, if you like coming of age movies like I do, I think that you should absolutely watch this movie. And also, uh, the director, Rick Famuyiwa, he is going to be directing episodes of the new Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, which I'm excited about. And to kind of bring this back around to Kung Fuberary, he is <laughs> working, he's in development on a film called Son of Shaolin. Um, that is kind of like a modern day Kung Fu film, which sounds really interesting. So... Hmm. Um, definitely check out Dope if you haven't. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I watched it on Netflix, but I'm not sure if it's still there. Um, but definitely check it out if you haven't. So uh, as you were talking about Dope, especially with it being a coming of age, but it, it sounds like it's a little bit more on the lighthearted side, even though it's very serious subject matter. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like uh, Friday, I think, you know, where it's basically like, that was an, kind of like a film adaptation of Ice Cube's song, It Was a Good Day, right. but like still kind of, you know, has some of the realities of living in the inner city. Um, and But it's just a fun movie. It's, you know, the character that Shamik Moore plays, his name is Malcolm. He's like this uber nerd who loves 90s pop culture. So for me, like I really identified with that aspect of his character. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it plays, it plays a lot of the stuff very lighthearted, but it also gets kind of serious at times, which, you know, it... It kind of goes through the whole spectrum of of genres and sure. Um, they're like there's a shootout in the movie at one point and it's kind of played for laughs but also taken seriously at the same time. Like it it's, it handles the tone really well. And again, with it being a coming of age story, like I'm a sucker for those kind of movies, so I really like that aspect of it. Nice. Um, well, as you were talking about it, uh, that actually made me change what my pick is going to be oh interesting okay yeah because like now i actually have one that's like oh yeah this is a really good pick rather than something that i thought of five minutes before we started <laughs> recording because it's been a long week y'all and it's been, it's just been a long week um all right yeah so my pick for black history month is um this movie called davion d-a-y-v-e-o-n and i saw it at the chat film fest last no two years ago and it is also a coming-of-age story um, about a uh, a 13-year-old boy that his his brother died. And so, like, he starts getting in—I forget if he died or was murdered. But um, but Davion starts getting more and more involved in, in gang culture. And it is not a comedy at all. Like, it is, it is a heartbreaking drama. Like, it was such an amazing movie, and I loved it. And it was done incredibly well. But it's one of those movies that it's it's hard to think of like how rewatchable that movie is because it just felt so real and it felt so it it almost felt more like a documentary that um that like the thought of watching it again it's like it is an amazing movie I definitely recommend that people see it but like it kind of put me through the ringer emotionally like I, I left that movie just being like I I kind of want to go cry somewhere. But I have another movie that, to get to, so like I have to, to put <laughs> off my emotions and get to them later. Um, so this, but, is, whereas Dope is more of like a feel good kind of story, this is maybe the opposite. Oh, this is so the opposite. Okay. Like I think that based on how you're describing Dope, they might pair really well together. But start with Davion, so that like then you can laugh about things with Dope. Mm -hmm. Do not end with Davion like that. If you ever put it with a double feature. Just don't end with it because it is not going to end things on a bright note. Um, but directed by Aman Abbasi and starring uh, Devin Blackman. And it is just, I, I, again, like it, it's kind of hard to describe it just because it feels so genuine. And um, like you see why, you see why kids are enticed by gang culture and you see why like this is trying to fill that void of um, just the pain of losing his brother and just the the family dynamics and the friendship dynamics it is again it is so heart-wrenching but just done so well um, and my friend Dustin Lane was the uh, cinematographer so, oh that's cool yeah uh, and, and it was shot in like a four by three I think 
So like it gives it again more of like almost a home movie esque yeah. style feel rather than giving it uh, this grand epic feel to it that again just like brings you in even closer because you're not you don't have all the stuff on the sides to distract you with ooh let's look at all the the scenery it's this is a character piece driven by driven by the characters especially Javion and it it is just an amazing movie. Um, and I definitely recommend that everyone check it out. Well, it sounds really good. Like I, I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't remember where or why. Um, but I'll I, definitely check it out. I talked about it during my CFF coverage. Oh, okay, that must be it. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's probably it. Um, also, interesting tidbit that I just discovered: Aman Abassi was a music consultant for the new Halloween movie, huh. which is interesting because it was composed by John Carpenter. Um, so he must have been working kind of closely with John Carpenter for that film in some way. So yeah, I, I, very interesting. I, I want to say that his background is music and like music videos. Yeah, um, he was the composer for Davion as well, and he's got like he has music that was used in some other films. Yeah, it is. It is definitely an amazing movie that again everyone needs to check out. It is available to rent on uh, Amazon right now uh, and other places, I assume. Um. Oh, no, sorry. You can rent it or buy it from Amazon, um, but it's not streaming for free yet, but I d- it's worth it. I definitely definitely think it's worth it. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, so that's that pick. All right. So now we move on to our picks for Women in Horror Month. Yes. Um, so what I'm going to go with is one that will probably sound, and here's that buzzword, problematic. <laughs> what, um, is it nuanced? It it is not nuanced, actually. <laughs> Nuance is something that is very much lacking in. Um, so I'm going with Slumber Party Massacre, <laughs> um, which here's something that's very interesting. So it was written by Rita Mae Brown, who was a feminist activist in like the 60s and 70s. Um, she's also like an early activist for LGBT rights before we even had the term LGBT, which is pretty interesting. Um, she's just like a total badass. And she wrote this uh, parody film. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the original title was. I don't have it right off the top of my head. Um, Sleepless Nights is what it was called. Um, and then Roger Corman picked it up and tasked Amy Holden Jones with directing it, but he wanted it to be kind of more of a straight slasher. So it's really interesting because it is like, it does work perfectly just on a slasher level. Just like it delivers the thrills. It is a really like pretty scary movie at times but it also still has those kind of parody elements to it which are like very interesting there are times where it's it's absolutely hilarious um it's just interesting to see a slasher movie directed by a woman where she kind of flips those slasher tropes Mm -hmm. like all of the women are smart like they don't make very many stupid decisions all of the men in the movie are like kind of leering and gross but they're dumb Um, And it's just fun to see those tropes kind of turned on their head. Um, And another thing that I really like about it is that the killer in the film, first of all, he uses this huge drill that there are a lot of shots that are framed between his legs where he's like holding the drill between his legs. So nuance is not something that this movie has. Like yeah, it's very even much just the cover of the, uh, the movie. Like there is no doubt about what they're trying to uh, try yeah. for there. Well, and one thing that I really like about the movie is, you know, most slasher movies, especially toward the beginning, they kind of keep the killer in shadow. Like you, you know, he's this very mysterious kind of presence, you know, kind of like Halloween where he, it's not a person. It's the shape. In this movie, it is just a dude, and they don't really make any kind of efforts to conceal his face or his identity. Like, he's just a dude who loves these women and wants to have his way with them. And um, there's. Is, is loves in quotes? Well, he says that he loves them. Okay. And, you know, it's very much like this kind of take on toxic masculinity. Um, there's still some problematic elements where, like, there's an <laughs> early scene where the women are just taking a shower. And they're all, I mean, the camera is lingering over their bodies and it feels kind of, it feels weird, especially going in knowing it was directed by a woman um, where, you know, it's like, I think that Jones even said something like in the commentary or something, there's a scene where she's like, "Ah," she's kind of sighing and she's like, maybe I gave them, gave the audience a little too much of what was expected. Right. But I also found it very interesting because you get that scene 
where the women are kind of talking about boys and stuff, but they're also talking about sports and other things. So it's funny that it's like simultaneously passing the Bechtel test and also is just like a bunch of women taking a shower. Right. Um, but then there's a scene later where the boys are kind of like staring in through a window as they're changing. And at that point, it feels really gross. So it's it kind of feels like in the shower scene, it's almost like, you know, this is just normal. You've been permitted access to be in this locker room with them, even though it is still kind of leering and male gazy. It doesn't feel as weird as when the boys are actually spying on them. That feels a lot grosser. And so I, I wonder if maybe there's an element of that being intentional or not. Yeah. Like I was thinking about that because so a uh, knock to my horror cred. I've not actually seen slumber party massacre, any of them. Um, but like, even just as you were talking about those scenes, like I, I wondered if part of the intention was to kind of like trick the viewer into being like, Oh, Hey, haha, nudity. That's fun. Yeah. But then you're doing the exact same thing that the disgusting killers are doing later. Like, I, I just wonder if it, was a little bit more intentional to to bring you in to make you feel bad about leering at these women through the uh, through the movie. It felt that way to me, and again, I was kind of reading it from a feminist perspective. Um, so maybe if I'd gone in not knowing much about the film, I'd feel differently about it. But that's kind of what it seems like to me, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's really great. Like again, even if you didn't read it on that level, it is still just a fun slasher. A lot of funny moments, a lot of great kills. I, I absolutely, I think it's a super underrated uh, film. And it's also a trilogy where all of the films were directed by women. Hmm. So I, I think it's the only horror trilogy, horror, horror series where every entry is directed by women. Huh. Uh, at, at some point, like when we actually take the time to do some research, like in-depth research, um, we might circle back around to that. I would be- love to do that. Yeah, I really would. Yeah, especially because the one of the things that I was toying around with being my pick, uh, which I'm... Not going to say right now because I don't even want to get into why it would be so problematic. I, I think that it might pair well with that in terms of in terms of putting the viewer in the situation of seeing this is why this is actually so disgusting and you shouldn't be enjoying this. And if you are, um, you know, that might be saying something more about the viewer rather than the people who made it. But again, we'll circle back around to that eventually might be a few months might be a few years but we'll we'll eventually come back to that topic um all right so my pick for women in horror is also tying in with black history month um because this was going to be my pick until i changed it to davion um my pick for women in horror is stacy title who is the director of snoop dogg soda four and the last supper which the Last Supper has better ratings on IMDb than Snoop Dogg Soda 4, but like I don't get why people are dogging that movie so much because it's actually <laughs> the a pun intended really, there. No, maybe. It's actually like a really good horror anthology and uh, it, it definitely has some issues. It's not an amazing movie, but like th- I remember the first time that I saw it being like this is a really solid horror movie and it, it shows you characters that you don't typically have an opportunity to see, or at least you see things from a different perspective. So rather than just having the token black guy being the first one to die off in a horror movie, the entirety of Snoop Dogg's sort of horror is centered around, um, you know, it, it is centered around African-American culture and the few white people who are in it are pretty sleazy. Mm-hmm. Um and not just kind of like white people are evil, but like it's presented in a very intentional way uh, to where it is highlighting some of the, well, many of the issues that uh, that African-Americans do have to go through. And again, it doesn't present it as just black and white. You know, it doesn't show these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. There's a little bit of these are the people, not just a little bit, it is very much these are the people who are trying to navigate through a very difficult situation and some of the choices that are made might not be necessarily the best choices, but they are kind of the right choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, it is just, I think, a really solid horror movie. Uh, if you don't like anthologies, obviously you're not going to like it because it is an anthology film. Um, but, but yeah, it I, I think is pretty solid. And then uh, the other movie that I mentioned, The Last Supper, I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid. Like, maybe not like a kid kid, not like eight, but, you know, 16 maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the 
the plot line of that, as I'm wondering why my phone is not <laughs> going to where I want it to. There we go. Uh, a group of idealistic but frustrated liberals succumb to the temptation of murdering right-wing pundits for their political beliefs. Which <laughs> That doesn't sound very relevant to our current political <laughs> climate at all. That's totally nope. dated. Yeah, that has absolutely nothing to do with how we are currently. Um Again, the thing that I love so much about The Last Supper is it's not just a bunch of liberal wackos killing right-wing conservatives. Like, that's not what it's about. It, it brings up a lot of issues and topics, and it presents both sides of that issue. You know, it does present these... Uh, so the group of idealistic but frustrated liberals, they, they all seem like they're kind of grad school-y, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it is definitely the type of movie that if you watch it in grad school, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that dude. I know that chick. Oh, yeah, those are my friends. I've been to that house. Yeah. <laughs> kind of feel to it. Um, but, you know, like, they're, they're very idealistic and, again, like, excessively so to the point where it's like, well, we're doing what's right because we know what's right. Yeah. But then as you, even though they're doing very terrible things the people to whom they're being done, it's like, you know what? I get it. So it's just a really fascinating movie of presenting, again, like both sides of an issue, uh, both the liberal side and the conservative side, and showing why it's never as simple as just this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Right. And, and again, it is just great fodder for discussion. So if you're the type of person who loves discussing movies, uh, or at least like the themes that arise within them, I, I definitely recommend Last Supper. Um, so yeah, uh, sounds, Steve. I was just gonna say the movie sounds fascinating. I didn't I didn't even know anything about this movie until last year. I think I don't even remember where the first place I heard it, heard of it was, but like it has a fantastic cast. Yeah, it's got Cameron Diaz and Courtney B. Vance, Bill Paxton, Ron Perlman. <laughs> like this sounds amazing. I love the idea behind it. So I'm totally fascinated by this movie. Bill Paxton does not have a large role in this movie. He's still in it, and that's all that matters. And Bill Paxton usually doesn't have a large role in movies, but he's still usually one of the most memorable things in the film. His role grows on you, though. I have a, it, that I, only makes sense. I was going to say, it. I feel like that's a pun. It is. Um, so that just makes me want to watch the movie even more. Uh, did Did you mention Ron Perlman? Ron Perlman, yes, who is amazing. Because if you didn't mention Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman is in it, uh, and also Ron Perlman. Yes. Was that another pun? No, it's just he he's great. Ron Perlman, uh, Mark Perlman. Mark Harmon. Did you mention him? I did not. He's he's in it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. I know who that is. I he's he's on one of those cop shows. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's on one like the like the CSI or something. Yeah, one of but those. Not uh I, I don't even I don't know. <laughs> um Yeah. Stacy Title. Watch her movies. Sounds good. And Hood of Horror sounds interesting too. I've never seen it, but um I like this idea. First of all, that Snoop Dogg is like the crypt keeper of this of this uh, anthology, and it does seem to have kind of like a an EC Comics kind of vibe, like Creep Show or something, just based on the art style. And then it's like the wraparound sounds like it has something to do with. Oh God, the wraparound story might. I don't want to say the wraparound story is the best story, but it's animated, and so they're Ooh, able to okay. show things that you probably wouldn't see, at least not in the same level of graphic detail. Mm -hmm. um, well, and it's like, yeah. it has something to do with, I mean, the description says that it's about, like, basically they're being judged, and their actions determine if they get it, like, where they go in the afterlife, and that sounds pretty fascinating to me, so... Definitely sounds like one I want to check out. Yeah, like there, there's a lot going on with that movie. It's not just, uh, and it's not just a just cheap <laughs> anthology horror movie. It's it, it's great. It's it is nuanced. Nuanced, yes. Yeah, just had to throw that in there. <laughs> All right. Uh, ooh, Chat Film Fest. Before I forget, because sometimes that happens. Uh, again, there's not been any major announcements that have come out, um, but a reminder that everything is terrible. Joe Bob Briggs, Shockwaves Podcast, Junk Food Cinema Podcast, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Mallory O'Meara are all going to be a part of uh, this year's Chat Film Fest. Uh, the the fundraiser to provide the, um, the, the classes and sessions, me and words, not so good today. It's a good thing I'm podcasting. Where that's the entirety of what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> All of those are going to be a part of this year's Chat Film Fest. Um, probably the biggest announcement is Mallory O'Meara's book, um, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, is available on pre-order on Amazon. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
go go pre-order that yeah. book. It comes out March 5th. I'm super excited. I'm totally going to read it before yeah. before we get there. Well, it, I would hope so. doesn't make sense to read it after the fact. I mean, you could. Yeah. But, but no, I, I really, like I was, I was doing some research on it this weekend and I really want to read it. It sounds really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest announcement is Mallory O'Meara's book available for pre-order. Go order it and um, get tickets to Chat Film Fest because it is an amazing film festival. We'll have more announcements later once there are more things to announce. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so the movie, Men from the Monastery. Uh, going to do the same thing that we've done on all our reviews. Uh, prior information and how that impacted your expectations. Um, what do you think of it from a technical standpoint? What do you think of it from an emotional standpoint? How rewatchable and who you recommend, recommend the movie for? So prior information, what you got? I knew absolutely nothing about this movie <laughs> going into it. You just said, hey, we're doing Men from the Monastery. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then that was it. So like legitimate, I've never heard of this movie. I... I, nothing about like I went into it with practically no expectations I honestly kind of expected it to be worse than the other movies that we had seen previously just because I'd never heard of it and I figured it didn't and you know it didn't quite stack up to those movies otherwise I probably would have heard of it somewhere sure. and also the guy that directed it Chang Che has made like a hundred movies so it's like if you put out that many movies they're probably not going to be very high quality and boy was I wrong you are so wrong um, my prior information is only slightly more than that and major, 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 major spoiler as to like my prior information. Yeah. We're going to have to spoil this movie to talk about it because there's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so I do a monthly meetup where I just get together with other people who love movies and we talk about cinema. We have a theme for each month. And the theme for February was what made you fall in love with movies. And one of the guys was talking about men from the monastery. And the only thing that he told me about it was that there was like this guy who was dipped in this thing to make him invulnerable. And then at the end he gets stabbed up the butthole. Yep. And that like, that is the only thing that I knew it was like, okay, that's the movie. That <laughs> yeah. <watch."> we <laughs> got to watch that movie. I love that that is the reason why why we ended up watching this. Because, first of all, that scene is f***ing amazing. Right. Like, when it happens in the movie, I'm just like, holy crap. And and also, when I watched it, your friend may have said butthole, but I, in it, he got stabbed in the dick. Let's just be honest. Like, that's what happened. It is not, it is not the butt. Either way, I guess you could say that they found his <clears throat> Achilles hole. <laughs> boo no not boo yay <laughs> no literally in literally in my notes i just put did he just get stabbed in the dick with a sword <laughs> literally in my notes i have i guess you could say he found his achilles hole oh no you literally wrote that i down. literally that wrote is, that down that is that is amazing awesome. yes, yes. it's amazing and then the, what's even better is when he pulls the sword out. We're, we're pretty much steamrolling oh, into the yeah. technical scene. When he pulls the sword out, he f like, sp it's like he was spring loaded and flies like 15 feet in the air after there's like this awesome like red stylistic flash on the screen that kind of makes you feel the pain in a way. Like there's something about that that's just like, ooh, that hurts. And well, oh, it's really amazing. As much as this movie is grounded in reality, there's still a few stylistic kung fu flying type of things. Not not a lot, but just a couple little there pieces. Definitely here there definitely is some. Um, also, um, this movie absolutely, again, I feel like with every movie we've watched, it influenced Kill Bill. But this movie especially, I think, the ending of this movie 100% God, yeah. is was used. Like Quentin Tarantino lifted some of the stuff in this movie at, for the fight at the end of Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah with like the cuts to black and white and just like some of those stylistic flourishes are pretty awesome. So or, yeah, we're totally in the technical, right, yeah, aspect technical now. side speaking. Um, so yeah, the, the expectation was uh, it's going to be awesome, but kind of bonkers, uh, not very bonkers, but way more awesome than I expected. So yeah, speaking of that flashes to black and white again, we're at the end of the movie spoilers, whatever. It's an awesome Kung Fu movie. You don't necessarily need spoilers. It's great. Go watch it. I simultaneously loved that and was confused by it because the entire movie, they hadn't been doing that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, someone gets stabbed. I know. Let's switch it to a black and white sepia tone-esque filter. I was like, what? This is kind of jarring. 
oh wait no that makes the scene so much more beautiful it really does like i i really liked it a lot it it felt a little jarring at first but i mean once you get used to it and i wonder too i don't know what kind of censorship rules there were for for this film at the time but i wonder i mean because in kill bill the reason he cuts to black and white during the crazy 88 fight is because of he didn't want to get an nc-17 because of how violent it was so i wonder if there was a similar motive behind this maybe because the blood that they have there so like the rest it's of the really movie, excessive. There's a lot of blood in that last fight. Well, like the blood during the rest of the movie is just like that red paint that is just you it's know like so stuck bright. on them. It's so bright, yeah. But when it switches to that sort of black and white sepia tone ish, um, it's it's somewhere in between the two. You know, it's not full on black and white, but it's not full on brown sepia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the blood during those scenes, it is like like just liquidy and dripping, and like it felt like. It felt like real blood mm-hmm. is is how it looked. Um, during those scenes, it did make me think one of two things. Either I wish that the entire movie had been done in that sepia tone uh style because it just it made it feel so much more classic and so much more timeless. Mm-hmm. Or I wish that it had been even more over the top and like jumping back and forth and really doing crazy things with the color palette the entire movie. Yeah. Like I, I'm kind of glad that they didn't because it made it even more effective at the end. But during that scene, it's like, man, why wasn't the entire movie like this? Yeah. It does seem to come thought. out of nowhere. Also the, the whole structure of the movie is super weird. Like it almost feels like a series of short stories that yeah. Because, okay, the title of the movie does not show up until 50 minutes into the movie, and the movie's only like an hour and 25 minutes or something. Okay, so a few things about that. It's um, super weird. Like, you basically, it's almost like Enter the Dragon, how you get like the three character intros before they go to the island, but the character intros are like 20 minutes long each. Yeah. And um, I, if you have something, go ahead with uh, whatever you're no, going to say. So, I, I assume that you watched it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. As did I. And it was not dubbed. Just want to say that was amazing. Well, like it was, but it wasn't. So I don't know if this was the case for you, but uh, my only audio option was English. It was not English. Yeah. But the like it didn't quite match up. So it almost felt like it was a different language that was being dubbed. Um, but it for whatever reason, Amazon didn't recognize it. It's like, oh yeah, sure, this is English. Just no, Amazon, it's not. Yeah. Um, and the first time that I tried to watch it, it didn't have a subtitle option just on whatever service I was trying to use. And so like, I had to switch over to my Blu-ray player and use Amazon Prime through that. And it also didn't have a subtitle option. It just had like the closed caption option, uh-huh. which was like so weird that, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there might have been some technical thing going on with mm. that like i i wonder if the version that they have is like the true version because on imdb it says that the movie is an hour and 41 minutes long yeah i noticed that too it says that the version we got is uh, the version we got was like i said an hour and 25 but every other place i've looked it up it says it's an hour and 41 minutes yeah so like i i feel like there's some things that we're missing i mean that's like you said each segment is about 20 minutes long so we're missing almost an entire segment um and I am positive that the text at the beginning of each segment is giving you a backstory. I am positive that it's yeah. doing the like the Star Wars scroll letting you know this is this character, this is what's going on, this is their motive, this is why they're doing the things that they're doing, but it wasn't subtitled. So I like each segment there was no information. It was just kind of thrown into, all right, here's a dude, he's going to go fight some things. Hmm. And that bugged me a little bit. I don't fault the movie. Because again, I'm I'm positive that on a DVD or Blu-ray or whatever release there is of it, surely they've added those subtitles. Like I think that that's more of just an Amazon-specific thing. I hope. Yeah, it seemed it was kind of odd, and like I even wrote down in my notes, like I had no idea what was going on for the majority of the film. Yeah, it feels like you're kind of getting the Cliff Notes version of something. And uh, first of all, like most of the movie is just fighting. Like yeah. the movie is even an hour and 25 minutes. I would say only 25 minutes of that is, a, is plot. And a full hour is just people kicking ass, which I mean is fine because the choreography fight choreography is fantastic. Um, but it, it was hard to really follow like, okay, what is this character's motivation? Cause there are a lot of characters in this movie and it was kind of tough to discern, you know, what exactly they're fighting for. You know, the burning of the Shaolin temple is a huge plot point that happens. Like it, 
it literally shows it for like 10 seconds and then never really mentions it again. Yeah. I think part of this, like it feels like we're missing something. And I think part of it is Chang Che directed, I think three or four different movies about these characters with the same actors. So like Shang Fu played uh, Fong Shi Yu in this movie and two heroes and Shaolin Temple, which um, they all kind of, they're focusing on the same characters with, and kind of like the same time frame. Like a lot of it kind of, the burning of the Shaolin temple is the pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. So I wonder like if you watched all three of those movies, if you'd have a fuller picture of exactly what's going on or if it was, you know, uh, uh, Feng Shi Yu is kind of a mythical character in, you know, the Shaolin, uh, story. So I wonder if maybe it was just like focusing on different myths, kind of like, uh, one thing I mentioned was it was maybe kind of like the gospels with Jesus where you're getting the same, (laughs) you're getting the same story, but from different perspectives. So I haven't seen the other movies, but I really want to, because I feel like I'd have a much fuller picture of what exactly was happening and who these characters are and why they're fighting. Well, and like, I'm also curious as to why he made so many movies about the same thing. Like, was that a a creative decision on his part or was that just kind of another studio person like, Hey, we like that movie. Do it again. All right. Yeah. Well, and these movies all came out around the same time. So I wonder if even he was filming all of them simultaneously and then just kind of cutting more than one movie out of it. Yeah. Because I even read that the scene with the burning of the Shaolin temple was actually taken from two heroes. So it uses footage from another movie that he directed with these same people. Um, so yeah, it just feels like maybe it was like, okay, we're going to make men from the monastery to give you the backstory on these characters and then show this one fight. And then yeah. this other movie focuses on this other thing. I mean, I definitely would love to watch all of them together as if it was just one giant movie. One big epic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I would need to find all of them. Yeah, you know, I I had a lot of the same thoughts just in terms of like the pacing and uh, the plot development because the fight scenes are so amazing and I love them so much. The entire movie was like, yeah, yeah, man, I can't wait to show this to my kid. Wait, no, I'm going to wait so long to show this to my kid because I don't want him running around punching people. It is so violent. And man, the uh, like, I love how people are getting like stabbed with axes and like the axes are just kind of like stuck to their bodies and they're like flying (laughs) up in the air. Like it's so over the top, the fight scenes and they're so funny. And like the one that's amazing is the uh, the pit formation where they're on the the poles right. above the like sharp bamboo and so they're like falling down and getting stabbed by the bamboo. I mean, it's shot like at a low angle, so it's obvious that they're not really doing a lot of this stuff, but it's still it's still a really great fight and a lot of fun. Just the way that it kind of plays out how like they'll fall and catch themselves and then pop back up and I'm still confused by like that character specific motivation of I'm going to create a pit and stand on top of poles all day. <laughs> this is where you're going to find me sitting on the pole. It doesn't matter because it's awesome. Yeah. It's just su- such a weird, very specific thing. Well, and then there's like all the, the motivations are so weird. Like then there's the one character. I can't remember which character it is, but he, um, he's like going and he keeps going back to the, the temple where the, like the bad guys are or whatever, the ones who go and burn the Shaolin temple down because his father was like gambling with these guys. And then they like, he wins a bunch of money from them. And then they're like, Hey, can we borrow our money back? And he's like, no. And they're like, okay, well we're just going to kill you then. Yeah. And so he keeps going back and getting his ass kicked and leaving and then coming back. And it's so funny. (laughs) Like, but so like, Oh, and then, and then he, he gets found by Fong Shi Yu goes to the Shaolin temple to train. And then it's like, it's a 10 second montage of his training, but then you find out that like six years had passed or something. Oh, three years. That's what it was. Yeah. And it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So there are some of those same trappings of a lot of Kung Fu movies where it's like, all right, we don't have time to show like all of the fighting because we just showed all of the fighting. So we're just going to say how long it's been. Um, So there definitely were some pacing issues. The plot does tend to get lost a little bit in the amazing fight scenes amazing fight scenes but the plot does get a little lost and again i blame uh those title cards not having subtitles yeah well i think that if there was something to explain this is what's going on in this scene i don't know there are even some parts where it's like he goes to fight and then like he he's like going and talking to this woman 
Um, and he's just like, oh man, I'm so mad. They beat me, whatever. And then like smash cuts to him fighting them again. Like yeah. it's, it's really funny to me like in some of the scenes. So I almost don't want there to be more explanation just because the way it's edited is really funny. Sure. But... So, <laughs> all right. So even though the plot does get lost, I feel like towards the end of the movie, once things start coming together, it's like, oh, there's the plot. Right, yeah. Now it is a really great plot. I wish that it had been like spelled out a little bit more in the beginning because it does have a lot of those same themes uh, that we talked about with the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, mm. with the oppression, and uh, like fighting back against corrupt officials, and um, you know, like even with just that one temple, the the one that you were just talking about, where the guys lost a bunch of money and then killed a dude because they wanted their money back yeah like that's a very corrupt temple like everyone there's like oh yeah they're so evil uh oh i forget which guy that was was that chang no it wasn't chang that was um, no no that was chang uh hung was the other dude yeah um and they were like oh yeah chang's our hero and you know like everyone there was rooting for him because he was trying to fight this very corrupt almost like mob style temple um, but like even within that, like uh, there's just kind of a throwaway line of like ten thousand people are employed here. It's like that seems like a lot, but yeah. sure. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, what's actually going to happen to all of the people that are depending on that factory for their livelihood? Like, yeah, he's fighting corruption, but how is it going to affect like the little people? And like, I know that it's <clears throat> much more nuanced than that. Take a drink. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, like there there definitely were some themes and definitely were plot points that were driving it towards that larger story. Um but you really don't get it until the end, you know? Yeah, like that's definitely true. The the end title, which finally does have a, a translation, if they had started with that, like if that was this is what's setting the movie. I think everything else would have made sense because again, like as you see them fight through, like, especially with Fang, like there's no description as to why he's running away from the temple or why the people who are chasing him down are chasing him down or why they're so evil. Yeah. There's there's nothing at all. You get like that scene of him, like in the chamber in the beginning fighting and like the lights coming on and off and stuff, which is super cool. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like somebody's trying to kill him and then he's running away and it's like, okay, well that was, weird and then right after that happens it cuts to a different character yeah i was like okay and then he kind of shows up in the other stories as just like this at this point he's a legend and it's like what i don't understand where any of this came from yeah but like despite all of that again by the end of the movie there i think is a very solid plot uh it goes from just kind of a fun actiony like even with uh fang going through the temple the uh the woodman alley i think it's called yeah the woodman alley um like it felt like he was walking through a video game and i loved it, it would, yeah and like I, I loved how the lights went on and off oh, it's like so okay cool. time to progress to the next one so great but like it goes from just a fun actiony here let's just go beat people up kind of movie into almost a like historical drama and like it was kind of heartbreaking it's a bit jarring though like honestly i have i was having a ton of fun with this movie when it goes through all the like short character introductions and stuff and then once it kind of after the title card comes up it feels like it loses a lot of steam because there's a really long section where they're just kind of being chased through the woods and they're like tricking people into falling into pits and stuff and it, it feels like it goes on for a little too long because the rest of the film has just been like action 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 then kind of tedious chase scene then you get the long action scene where it feels a lot more serious than everything else that has happened up to that point yeah. so it is kind of jarring yeah like the the tone the tonal shifts across the movie are a bit odd um but when they showed the burning of the Shaolin temple and then when everyone else is on the run and you have the people chasing them through the woods like major nerd alert for me it felt like when anakin went into the jedi temple and was just like killing off all those people even though you don't see the the young yeah even though you don't see the people die in the shaolin temple there's still that same sense of you know this temple that was training these warriors to protect like the the good and right in this world is now destroyed and there are only a few remaining people and you know yeah. they're they're still fighting for honor and rather than running away they're going all butch cassidy and sundance kid on yeah. it and it feels like it almost feels like this movie is basically a preview for 
Che's other work. Like it's like here, if you want to learn more about the burning of the Shaolin Temple, you have to watch Shaolin Temple because right. that's what that movie is about. Um, which is kind of odd, but I mean, either I mean, way, it makes sense. It, I guess it's fine because this movie is just so much fun. I think like, first of all, I've never, I never would have expected a character to look like a badass while fanning himself, but <laughs> man, he, he uh, Shang Fu, I, I think that was his name. I, Feng, I'm getting Feng, 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 Feng Shi Yu. Yes. Feng Shi Yu totally pulls it off. And he just has like this knowing, like kind of smirk on his face for the whole movie. That's so much fun. Like, I love that this movie's kind of ridiculous in earlier scenes and it totally knows that it's ridiculous. Like there's just kind of this winking like sense to it mm-hmm. that I really like. So that's where like the ending kind of feels a little bit weirder where it does feel like a lot more earnest. I don't know if it really earns the whole like, all right, we're, this is the last stand. Like we're going to fight until the death. See, I, I think that it does. And I know that we don't have like a ton of time to bicker about this. Um, but I, I feel like it does earn that ending. That, but like, there's just a few things missing, you know. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like once it got past some of those fun fight scenes, and like having to really think about, wait a second, why are they doing this? And realizing, oh right, all of them are fighting against some sort of oppression. All of them are fighting against some sort of corruption. All of them are fighting because you know these dudes killed their dad or just whatever. Once some of those pieces start falling into place and you realize this isn't just like a fun action movie, this is, this is serious. And like when it got to the end, I did not have that sense of, yay, the good guys are going to win. Like going up to the end, I, I, I was emotionally invested in it by the time that they were at that final fight that I, I was worried what was going to happen to all of them. And um, yeah, and yeah. So for me, it was effective. No, I think so too. And the final fight does still have a little bit of those kind of like the deaths are still like super dramatic. And I love, oh my gosh, I love the scenes where they come in. And I know this sounds terrible because I'm I'm talking about how much I love watching all these men be slaughtered. But sure. like the scene where they come in, they're shooting the arrows. The way that it's edited and it shows them with like 25 arrows sticking out of their body was kind of like kind of amazing like i've i put the editing in this scene is art <laughs> like <laughs> See, i love the way that that's put together it. it's, it's not the death it's the editing of it yeah the way it's put together is really fantastic like it's i mean it's obvious that you know they couldn't show the arrow impaling them and stuff so the way that they work around some of the limitations of you know the f- filmmaking techniques they had at the time is is really fun and also i mentioned this to you before but i love the shaw brothers set like yeah. the way they have those matte paintings of the sky. Like you can tell it's a set, but I love the artifice of that. Like I just love the feeling that those that, that evokes. Yeah, like, to the point where when they actually are outside, it's like, oh, that's not where you were five seconds yeah. ago. Like it, it is very clearly a different place when they're outside. Um, all right, yeah, so, so technically there definitely are some issues. There's definitely some shortcomings most notably the the pacing and the plot just kind of getting lost a little bit but again for my money once the plot falls into place for me like it it stuck the landing it might have fumbled around a little bit but when it got there it sort of retroactively made the rest of the movie a bit more um a bit more serious in tone even though the tone hadn't been all that serious yeah all right yeah this this movie's got some issues it does but i mean it's still getting into the emotional side here i think this movie is highly enjoyable oh yeah so much fun like it is like an absolute blast I still get emotionally invested in the film a little bit because especially since you start with those like kind of lengthy character intros, I mean like they're basically just short films about these characters like by the end of it, even though the tone radically shifts, like I still really love these characters and I'm really invested and I want them to win. And so like whenever, even though like when, uh, I can't Shang Feng Feng Shi Yu. Yes. Like, even though his death scene is so ridiculous and so over the top when he gets stabbed in the gooch, like, <laughs> it is so, like, I laughed out loud when it happened, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, man, like, I loved this guy, and I'm totally invested in him, and it, it hurts a little bit, so. Yeah. Well, especially, like, because that was the one reason that I picked this movie was because I knew that some dude died by getting stabbed up the butt, um, it, like I, I knew that, and so very early on, when it foreshadows when he jumps, stab him in the gooch. I was like, 
oh no, man, I like this dude. Don't, oh. So like I knew that he was going to die, but there was still that part of me where it's like, maybe, like maybe he won't, maybe he'll just get stabbed, but be able to make it through. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, he totally dies. Yeah, he does. <sighs> um, yeah, so so it was a lot of fun to watch. I was totally invested in the characters, like because there actually was character development, which was so weird. Like that that's one of the things that I guess technically still fits in the technical side. Mm-hmm. Even through the fight scenes, you end up getting a lot of character development. Like just the different ways that each of the characters were fighting told you a lot about who they were. So um, again, I think his name was Chang. I can't remember now, but the guy whose uh, whose father was killed by um, the Oh, I did write it down somewhere, but I don't remember where it is now. Oh, I can't think of the name <clears throat> of the uh, oh, Jin Jin Nun. Uh, yeah. The that temple, yeah. that killed the dad. Uh, like his son, who kept going back and, and fighting and fighting and fighting. Like he was very impulsive and very driven by anger, and like you could tell from his fighting style, which was so different from Fang's, more like laid back and almost like just a. Uh, almost supernatural and yeah. just his ability to know what was coming. So each of the different fighting styles, I think told you so much about the characters. And again, I think that it was effective. I think that it worked. I absolutely love this movie. I was expecting it to be just kind of a fun, silly romp of invulnerable people getting stabbed in the gooch. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that that was like the least impressive thing about this movie. It is genuinely amazing. And I yeah, it is just genuinely amazing, and I one hundred percent love it. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, how rewatchable is it? So, I'm comparing it to the other two films that we have watched. I think that in a way that this is probably the weakest film. Yeah, I think it's also the most rewatchable compared to Thirty Six Chamber and. Um, Enter the Dragon like this is just the most fun I think I had with all of those movies and I think because it is so hyper focused on the fight scenes and those fight scenes are just absolutely fantastically choreographed like I do feel like this is probably the most rewatchable of all of the Kung Fu Buary films we've covered so far um even though again every time it has it has all of these issues with kind of you know the the structure and you know those jarring tonal shifts but overall like it's just so much fun like more so than the other films i think that i would probably rewatch this film before the other ones even though i think the other films are better films so, so. i'm almost uh, exact opposite i think that this movie is incredibly strong and yes shortcomings i don't want to say that it's better or worse than the other ones but i do I found myself as I was watching it getting more and more invested in it. Mm. And maybe it was just because I didn't know anything about it. And so it was much more of like a surprise hit for me. But like, I I feel like this movie was so strong and I cared about the characters so much, but because it doesn't have that same sort of happy go lucky ending because it is much darker in the end, I kind of feel like it's slightly less rewatchable, not in, not in an overall sense. You know, like if I'm going through and watching this movie like once a month, oh yeah, totally. Like this movie is super rewatchable. It should absolutely be on very high rotation for anyone who enjoys Kung Fu cinema. But in terms of like when I got to the end, I didn't have that same immediate rush to be like, I need to watch this movie again right now because I was kind of sad at the end because Mm -hmm. I was invested in those characters. It's kind of like with Empire Strikes Back, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you don't get to the end of Empire and say, I want to watch this one again. You're like, um, what? Okay, you don't say, I need to watch <laughs> it again right now. Because you're like, I, whew, I, don't, I don't know if I want to sit through another two hours just to be sad again with Han being all frozen and stuff. I, huh, I, I kind of want to know what happens next. So, like, that's where that. I was with this one of super rewatchable in a grand scheme and an immediate scheme. I I kind of wanted something just a little bit more lighthearted. I could see that. I still find again because of how like over the top and fun the fight scenes are, it I think it's easier for me to get invested in it and not really like I didn't really walk away like feeling sad. I mean, I was a little sad for the characters, but at, at the end of it I was sitting there just thinking like oh my God, there's a part where a dude is impaled with a spear and then he impels another person with a spear that he is impaled with. Like that is just awesome. And so, I mean, that's kind of what my takeaway from the film as a whole was more just like 
there are some amazing like things that happen in this movie and so that's just because i have a heart and i care (laughs) about these characters sure we'll go with that (laughs) all right who do you recommend this movie for I mean, it's pretty much the same recommendations I've had for the past few episodes. Like, if you enjoy kung fu movies at all, then this is absolutely a movie you should watch. If you like Quentin Tarantino movies, if you want to kind of see some of the films that inspired Kill Bill. Uh, I mean, even even any of his other films, like, just the style I think he's adopted. Like, this film has tons of those, like, crash zooms yeah. that he really likes to use. I always think of the scene in uh, Django Unchained where you first see Leonardo DiCaprio and he turns around and the camera just like zooms straight across into his face. Like there are so many moments like that in this movie. And I think those are really fun and highly effective. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, if you like action movies at all, like this is kind of, this feels like an early kind of blockbuster style filmmaking where it's like, you know what, the plot and everything they're there if you need that. But for the most part, we're just going to show you people kicking ass and being badass And, um, because that's what most people really want from their movies, and you get that in spades. Yeah. Uh, so I forgot to mention this during technical. Forgot to mention this during the technical components. I know how to words. Uh, the music. I loved the music, and it it had sort of like an old western feel to it. Oh which yeah. Again, I think added to that um, sort of like lone gunman going up against all odds, which again, it really does. And that's something I've been meaning to mention for every single one of these movies is they all have the feel of those kind of spaghetti Westerns, like the Sergio Leone movies. All of these Kung Fu movies we've watched have that same kind of feel. Yeah. I think part of it is just because they're shot the same way where they're shot without sound and all of the sound, even the dialogue is dubbed in after the fact. Um, And that's the way that all those spaghetti Western films had to be made as well um and they just kind of have a similar style and you know they similar plot premises and things like that so if you like spaghetti westerns then absolutely check out this movie oh totally i'm sorry Uh, i stole that from you oh no no fine (laughs) so i completely agree with all the people that you recommended for um the the only thing that i would add is even more so than with uh 36 chamber or uh enter the dragon Definitely don't show this one to kids. Oh, no. Yeah. It is super violent. Yeah. So, yeah. Not only does it have just the, ooh, kung fu fighting. I'm going to be a kid, and I'm going to recreate that, and I'm going to karate chop people straight in the dick, because that's what <laughs> kids do. Even more so, um, the violence at the end, it felt so real. Like, leading up to it, there were some gory scenes. There was an axe sticking out of some dude's chest. There were definitely a lot of red red paint deaths. But then at the end, when it switches to that black and white sepia tone-esque feel, it's just like, ooh, yeah, this this feels too real. Um, if I was letting a kid watch it up until this point, I definitely would not let them watch it at this point, even though at that point they'd be like, but I need to know what happens. Just no, you don't. Everyone dies. It's sad. <laughs> All right. Eric, where do you want people to find you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at the Chimerican and on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews, and then um, on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at the Gargoyle Podcast, on Twitter at Gargoyle Podcast, and on Letterboxd at the Gargoyle. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes that we've done for Kung Fu Brewery, then uh, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Gargoyle Podcast. That's G A R G Y L E. Because it is a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater. Um, And yeah, I, I guess that's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And remember, kids, um, when, when you're doing your outros, think about it before you get to the outro. It's less awkward. Um, yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I was trying to tie it back into what we talked about, but um, yeah, I I got nothing. Yeah, because if you don't think of your outro, then you know, like you won't be prepared. Kind of like how uh, the people in this movie were not prepared at the end of the movie; they just kind of went for it and uh, failed spectacularly. But you know what? We give them credit for trying, and that's how you should feel about us. Here we go. Remember, kids, when you're getting dipped into invulnerable liquid, make sure to get your taint. <laughs> Cause like How did he not? He's completely <laughs> submerged. Why is it that it doesn't work on the Cause he was sitting on it? I don't know. Did he have his feet tucked up in there or something? Like I don't understand how how it gets everywhere except right there. <laughs> I don't know.
It's like, oh man, yeah. Also, that sounds incredibly painful to be stabbed like through the gooch, through the taint, up into your stomach. Like, even just the scene in Jackass where they're giving paper cuts and. Oh yeah! Wow. Okay. Yeah, that 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 is one of the most cringeworthy scenes in all of cinema. Is uh, I, I think it's Stevo gets a paper cut on his gooch. It's probably Stevo. Mm. He's he's. It's probably him. I you know I did not expect us to say gooch as much as we did this episode. Yeah. I'm not it's, surprised that we did. That's I just the didn't word expect of the, us to. the word of the day. We should keep you know trying to bring it into our other words so that way we can add it to our you know most used words of the of 2019. I want to see a word cloud of our words at the end of the year. <laughs> word would definitely be in that word cloud very large. <laughs> so I'm picturing it now and just like you got gooch and problematic and nuanced and then a whole lot of f- Yeah, definitely. It's way up, way up there. Yeah. It is. It is eclipsing all of the other words. Especially because it's just going to be bleeps. <laughs> all right. We've rambled on for far too long. Uh, make sure to come back next week as we round out our Kung Fu Brewery with a movie that I've been looking forward to watching um, since since we decided on the topic. All right. Bye.